Well, good morning, everybody. Um, thank you uh, to David for those uh, very thoughtful reflections and that prayer uh, for us this morning. Um, I want to say thank you again to those uh, in the building with me. Uh, thank you to Colin and Emily, who are a little family bubble on the sound desk this morning. Um, thank you to Paul and to Rachel uh, for leading us in worship. Um, I guess this morning uh, I want to issue an invitation uh, as we begin uh, a new teaching series together. Uh, I want to invite you to join us for this journey together uh, that we're going to take our time with. It's going to take a little while. Um, and I guess I've been thinking a lot recently, I think, especially in these times when our world uh, is so uncertain. I think there's something about just coming and finding our stability and our center and our confidence in God's word and kind of anchoring ourselves there uh, that I think is extra important. Uh, and so I want to really encourage you and invite you uh, to come and join us on this journey. We're going to be exploring over the next number of weeks and months um, three of the most famous chapters in the Bible, uh, which are uh, often called the Sermon on the Mount um, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. Um, but maybe slightly counterintuitively, in order to introduce the series, we're going to read some words from a little bit later in Matthew, uh, from Matthew chapter 11. Um, and again, these words also are an invitation, uh, which I hope will do you good uh, this morning. So let's read together uh, from Matthew 11. We're going to read from verse 28. And these are the words of Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wonder, wonder how those words, those famous words of Jesus, um, land with you this morning, where you are right now. Um, it seems to me, talking to people and looking around at the minute, um, it, it seems to me like many people are feeling really tired right now. Um, lots of people are feeling tired in body at the moment. Um, lots of people are feeling tired in their minds just from thinking too much all the time. Um, in some ways, Jesus uh, in this passage speaks to an even deeper kind of tiredness, uh, deeper than body or mind tiredness, a, a weariness of soul. He speaks to all who are weary and burdened. Um, I wonder, can you relate to that this morning? Um, Jesus, of course, gives us this beautiful promise that if we come to him, we will find rest, and not just rest for body or rest for mind, but rest for your soul, a deep rest that goes to the very depth of your being, to your very core. Um, I wonder again, does that sound good to you this morning? I wonder, is there, are there any of us tuning in this morning who don't need that right now? Um, is there something in you that just says, yes, that is what I need, rest for my soul? 
Um, so the, the words of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus are beautiful and inviting um, and easy to say yes to in a sense. Um, but I want us to notice something strange, which maybe sometimes we, we skip past without paying attention. Uh, that Jesus says if we want to experience this deep soul rest, then he tells us something that we need to do, which is maybe a little surprising. He says, take my yoke upon you. Uh, And I want to take a moment to think with you about why that's surprising. Uh, What are we talking about when we talk about a yoke? Um, Let's get a couple of things out of the way. We're not talking about eggs. It's it's spelled differently if we're talking about eggs. Um, We're not talking about the Northern Irish use of the word yoke to mean a miscellaneous object, like pass me that yoke over there. Um, We're talking about this. Uh, We're talking about a wooden contraption, certainly in those days, that lay across the shoulders of horses or oxen so that together they could work, they could pull a plow through the ground. And I wonder immediately, do you see why There's something surprising here. A yoke is clearly an instrument of work. And Jesus connects it to his promise of rest. So one one commentator in the book of Matthew called Dale Brunner uh, says this, a yoke is a work instrument. So when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke, right? So he's getting at what's surprising at this. And I guess this is the paradox that I want to puzzle over with you this morning. Um, What does it mean to take the yoke of Jesus? And how on earth can taking a yoke bring us rest? Okay, so that's what I want to explore with you this morning. Um, And maybe in exploring it, the first clue right here in the passage that we read, is in the very next phrase. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And so immediately, it seems like the yoke of Jesus is connected with his teaching. It's connected with us learning from him as our teacher. Um, And this is one of those places where I think to understand this better, we need to zoom out a little bit and think for a moment about the Jewish culture in which these words were first spoken. And maybe ask the question, did the idea of a yoke have any particular meaning in Jewish culture? So we have our own meaning in Northern Irish culture. What did it mean in Jewish culture? Um, And what we find, and you can read about this in all kinds of places, um, is that the, the metaphor of a yoke was a common metaphor in Jewish culture with both a general meaning and a more specific meaning. Um, So in general, uh, the the idea of a yoke spoke of obedience to the Old Testament law. And so every Jewish believer, every Jewish person was expected to take the yoke of the law. That was a common phrase. Um, Sometimes it was expressed as taking the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. That meant the same thing. And it meant that you were committing yourself really deliberately, intentionally, seriously to obey the law. You were taking the yoke of God's law on your life. So that was the general meaning that was uh, widespread. Um, But more specifically, um, 
within Jewish culture, there would be different rabbis or teachers. Uh, and each rabbi or teacher would have their own kind of distinctive interpretation of the details of the Old Testament law. So maybe the most famous example that people debated was you have this command in the Old Testament that says you're to rest on the Sabbath and not do any work. But each rabbi would have their own detailed teaching about what exactly you could do on the Sabbath and what exactly you couldn't do, um, right? So each, each rabbi had their own body of teaching uh, that interpreted the Old Testament law. And that distinctive body of teaching was known as their yoke. And so you can kind of imagine it like this, and that this would have happened back then. Sometimes a young man would come to a rabbi and would ask to become his disciple or his apprentice. And he would say to the rabbi, I want to take your yoke. Um, and typically the rabbi would then put him through rigorous testing uh, to make sure he had what it took to be his disciple because he only wanted to take the best of the best. And if you passed the tests that the rabbi set for you, you would then be ready and be allowed to take his yoke. And from that moment on, you would attach your life to the life of the rabbi. Like those two oxen connected together by the yoke. You would go wherever he went. Your whole life would be defined by your relationship to him. Your whole focus would be on learning his way, his way of interpreting the Old Testament and his way of life. And you would learn it by watching his example and also by listening to his teaching, right? So that, that's the kind of thing that was bubbling away in the culture of Jesus. Every Jewish person took the yoke of the law. Some specifically came and took the yoke of a particular rabbi um, and, and became their apprentice. So with that cultural context in mind, what does it mean then for you and I to take the yoke of Jesus? I wonder, can you see uh, already, it means much more than just having a few beliefs about Jesus. It means more than just signing up to some doctrines or ideas about him. It means becoming his disciple. It means becoming his apprentice. Um, it means a whole new way of living. Um, you, you and I know the word apprentice in our culture um, because an apprentice is someone who attaches themselves to someone else in order to learn a skill or a trade, which could be plumbing or carpentry or business or all kinds of things. Um, what is it that you and I are wanting to learn from Jesus when we become apprentices to him? And I think it's as simple as this, um, that we're wanting to learn how to live well. We're wanting to learn his way of life, of living, of walking, of being. We're wanting to learn how to live. Um, that word way, I think, is really important um, in the New Testament. The book of Acts tells us uh, that before followers of Jesus were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. Um, I, I've always loved that. Uh, they saw themselves as people with a radically distinctive way of living in the world, of walking, um, which they had learned at the feet of Jesus. They had learned the way of Jesus. 
One cultural commentator um, has said uh, that modern Christians are not really followers of Jesus. They're just fans. Um, and I've always found that's kind of a criticism with real bite. Um, uh, it's one that maybe we need to think about and allow ourselves to be challenged by. To be a follower of Jesus is to attach our life to his. So our whole life is now defined by our relationship with him. Um, and you can see already as we, as we think about the image of the yoke and what it might mean for our lives, his way is going to be difficult and costly and challenging. It involves, as Jesus said uh, another time, taking up our cross and following him. It's going to involve everything. And yet, here's our paradox for this morning. Um, it also leads to rest for our souls. It can also be described as easy and light. And of course, whenever we say the way of Jesus is, uh, brings rest and is easy and light, it's a sharp contrast to the way of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who multiplied rule upon rule upon rule. And Jesus said one time they put heavy burdens on people's shoulders and don't lift a finger uh, to help them. The way of Jesus, by contrast, it might be difficult and costly and challenging, but it's also liberating and life-giving. And there's maybe a little um, almost test we can do or um, uh, kind of taking the temperature of our lives. Um, is the way that we are living and walking, is it heavy and burdensome? Does it weigh on us like a crushing weight? And if so, we may be following more the way of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Or does it bring rest to our souls? Does it bring life to us and to those around us? Uh, the way of Jesus brings life, brings rest. Um, so I hope that helps a little bit um, to think about this. To take the yoke of Jesus is to learn his way. Uh, but maybe we ask, how do we do that? How do we learn the way of Jesus? Um, and I think like those disciples or apprentices of a Jewish rabbi, we learn his way in two ways. One is by watching his example and seeing how he lives. And that's a really important theme for us to think about. But the other way is this, is by listening to his teaching. And that's where we're going to be focusing our attention. Um, let me ask maybe a strange question. Do, do we know the teaching of Jesus? You and I say we are followers of Jesus. Um, here's an interesting exercise which you could try later on. Uh, and I'm, hopefully you'll get, I'm not, I'm not giving you this to sort of make you feel bad, but it's, it's maybe an interesting challenge. Take, take a blank sheet of paper and a pen or a pencil um, and just take a few moments and write down all you can remember of the teaching of Jesus, the one we call our teacher and our master and our Lord. Um, write down all you can remember and don't worry too much about getting the exact words. This is not a kind of memorization test. But what can you remember of the gist of what Jesus has taught us? Um, maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think many of us might find that we struggle with this a little bit. Um, I, I think very often we can remember some of Jesus' parables. We'll, we'll remember a few highlights of 
the Good Samaritan and the, uh, the Prodigal Son and so on. We, we might remember a few of Jesus' sayings from, from John's Gospel, like, I am the light of the world and I am the resurrection and the life and I am the Good Shepherd. Um, some of that stuff about being born again from John 3. But I wonder about the rest of Jesus' teaching and especially his teaching where he really teaches us how to live, his way of life. I wonder how much of it we can easily draw to mind. There's something a little bit challenging here, I think. We call him our master and our Lord. We call ourselves his disciples. And yet sometimes maybe we haven't paid that close attention to the things that he taught us. Um, a few months ago, um, I wanted to buy a new Bible. Uh, and as very often is the case, uh, when we want to buy a new Bible, I had a few criteria in mind. Um, I knew the translation that I wanted, and I knew the kind of size and shape and size of font that I wanted. And yes, we are very spoiled in our part of the world that we get to fuss about those kind of things. Um, but I found a Bible that met all those criteria that I had. Um, but my only difficulty was it was a red letter Bible. And I realized, um, as I thought about it, that for some reason I had a prejudice against red letter Bibles. Red letter Bibles are ones where the words of Jesus have been printed in red. And I think, reflecting on it, I think I heard someone years ago um, speak against red letter Bibles. Uh, and I think roughly what they said was that all of the Bible is God's word. And so we shouldn't elevate the words of Jesus above the rest. Um, there's a sense in which we can say, all of this is the words of Jesus. Um, and so we shouldn't maybe make that distinction. And I think that's a fair point. Um, I think all of that is true and good to remember, right? Um, and yet, um, I ended up buying the Bible, and I found that I've calmed down a bit about whatever I had against red-letter Bibles. Um, of course, we should read all the scriptures. We should read the whole counsel of God. Um, but if I have identified myself as a disciple of Jesus, then surely I must begin by paying really close attention to the things that he taught us. And actually, just as a disciple of a rabbi learned to read the Old Testament his way, Jesus is our interpretive guide and lens for reading the rest of Scripture. We read all of Scripture through the lens of Jesus and let him be our guide. So surely at the very least, uh, we should make sure that we're well acquainted with the things that Jesus taught us. Um, so for the next few months, um, I want to invite you. We're going to come and sit at the feet of Jesus. And we're going to ask him to teach us his way. Uh, we're going to explore what is certainly his most famous sermon, um, usually called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which, as we said at the beginning, takes up three chapters in Matthew's Gospel. It's not really that long. Uh, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Um, what is our kind of goal or hope for this series? Well, I guess um, on one level, um, I hope that at the end of this series, if someone puts a blank piece of paper in front of us and asks, what does Jesus te teach you? We can fill it uh, with the teachings of our Lord. But that's kind of a, a very modest hope. I think much more importantly, our hope and prayer is this, that when those around us look at our lives, 
and at our way of living and at how we walk, they will know that we belong to Jesus, that we have taken his yoke, that we are his apprentices and disciples in learning how to live. Um, So that's our hope. Um, Before we finish uh, this morning, um, I want to deal with one possible objection before we get started on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I need to deal with something that might be an obstacle for some of us. Uh, And I want to ask a question that some of you will think is really weird. But I want to ask, are we meant to obey these commands? So some of you will think that's a daft question. um, But it may be lurking somewhere in some of our minds. Um, Whenever I was growing up, uh, I often heard a view of the Sermon on the Mount that went something like this. That what we find in the Sermon on the Mount is a collection of impossible commands where Jesus sets the bar impossibly high. It's kind of like being asked to do the high jump over a a pole vault uh, thing, bar. Um, And the way this was taught to me sometimes, this was deliberate. Jesus deliberately set the bar impossibly high because when we try to obey these commands, we find that we can't, we find that we fall miserably short And that prepares us for the gospel because then we're ready to run to Jesus and we find that Jesus has kept these impossible commands on our behalf and Jesus has died to pay the price for our disobedience and so we find forgiveness at the cross. Uh, We find forgiveness in Jesus. Um, And I want to tell you something maybe strange that um, I, I actually remember very vividly as a teenager whenever I heard something like that. I remember having, I don't think I could have put it into words, but I remember um, the feeling. I remember knowing that I was meant to feel relieved that we didn't need to try to keep these impossible commands. But I remember also finding that I felt a little bit disappointed. Um, And I wonder why I felt disappointed. I think it was because for this reason, Uh, that these commands of Jesus that we find in the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere are certainly incredibly difficult, but they're also really, really beautiful. And I think they drew out a longing in my heart that kind of said, imagine if we could live like this. Imagine if our friendships and relationships, our homes and our families, our churches, our neighborhoods were characterized by this kind of life, Something in my soul said, this is beautiful. This is what we're made for. Wouldn't that be amazing? And then I kind of felt like this beautiful dream was snatched away or postponed entirely to the next life. Um, That was what it felt to me was kind of what happened. Um, And then uh, as a teenager, I had a little bit of an epiphany. Um, I had it while reading uh, this book here which you've heard me talk about probably many times, uh, called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's probably the book, apart from the Bible, that has most impacted me in my Christian life. Um, Somebody said one time that books don't change us, sentences change us. Um, And that was kind of the case in this case. I was reading in Mere Christianity, um, and probably when people want to prove that the Sermon on the Mount is impossible, the bit of the Sermon on the Mount they they tend to point to is the bit where Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
And people say, well, look at that. Obviously, that's impossible, so the rest of it must be impossible as well. And this is what I read in Mere Christianity. Lewis said, the command, be perfect, is not idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. And now here's the sentence that kind of changed my thinking forever. He said, he is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. He is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. And I think what Lewis made me realize was that what I had been taught was only a half gospel. It was true as far as it went, but it didn't go the whole way. Because, of course, if we try and obey these commands in our own strength, we're going to fall and we're going to fail spectacularly and we're going to fall embarrassingly short. Um, And of course, at that moment, we need to run to Jesus. But when we run to Jesus, he offers us much more than just forgiveness. The same Jesus who took our disobedience on himself on the cross was also raised to life and ascended to the right hand of the Father and poured out his own spirit so that ordinary stumbling disciples like you and me can be clothed with power from on high, so that we can be changed from within, so that we can run in the way of his commands, as the psalmist says. Um, The heart of the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if Christ is in you, then anything is possible. Um, And of course, we're not saying we're going to be perfect today or perfect tomorrow um, or anytime soon. But by the power of the Spirit, we can can walk in this way. We can take up these commands with hope uh, that the one who began a good work in us is going to carry it on to completion. And so if there's one thing I want to make sure we hear loud and clear before we begin... um, We need to read the Sermon on the Mount. We need to read these beautiful, impossible commands in light of the gospel. We read them in light of the cross so that when we stumble and fail, there is forgiveness. We read them in light of the giving of the Spirit so there is supernatural power available to us to enable us to walk in this way. Um, And when we read the sermon in light of the gospel, the commands kind of become promises. We can take up each command and say, this is what God intends to do in me. He intends to make me into the kind of person who can live this way. Um, and suddenly we feel hope rising um, as, we, as we pay attention to the gospel. Um, and so, as we finish, um, we want to say, uh, there's a paradox here. The way of Jesus is tough and costly and challenging. We're taking a yoke. We're taking a cross. But we also want to say that that same way is easy and light. It will bring rest to your soul and gladness to your heart. Um, the, the same commentator, Dale Bruner, who I quoted earlier on, says this, that Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Instead of offering escape, 
Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Um, I want to encourage you to reflect on uh, those words. Um, Let me finish with this. Um, and maybe just leave my notes for a second and just speak from the heart. Um, dur- during the week um, at our, our prayer meeting, uh, someone uh, very honestly asked the rest of us, would we pray for them at the start of this year, um, that they would have more reality in their walk with God? Um, and someone else, when they were praying for them, um, prayed a beautiful prayer and said, Lord, our brother has held up a mirror to the rest of us because that's what we all need. We all need more reality in our walk with God. Um, And I guess I've wondered as we enter into this year if maybe for many of us right now, um, this is a moment to kind of get real in our lives with God uh, where we need to stop playing with being a follower of Jesus, maybe just being a fan where we need, need to stop kind of paddling in the shallows, where we, we maybe need to come to God and say, the way I've been living is not working. It's not bringing rest to my soul. It's not bringing life to me or to those around me. And I need you to teach me a better way of living. Um, and I wonder if that, if that resonates in any way with you. Uh, maybe you join me as we begin this journey. Uh, let's pray a prayer just asking Jesus to be our teacher and to show us a better way. Let's pray together, and then we're going to sing again. Father, we just want to take a moment in the quiet, and maybe many of us need to come to you honestly this morning and say, the way I've been living is not working. My soul is weary. My soul is frazzled. My soul is uh, tired and battered and bruised. And I crave rest for my soul. Father, this morning we've heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Father, help us this morning to respond to his invitation. Um, Father, help us also to hear this challenge that if we want to find that rest, then we need to take the yoke of Jesus. Um, And Father, maybe this morning we want to make a pledge and a commitment and say over these coming weeks, we want to enter into the school of Jesus. We want to take him as our teacher in learning how to live. We want to sit at his feet and say, teacher, Lord, would you show us a better way? We want to say, you have the words of eternal life, the words that can bring life to our souls, and we have nowhere else to go. Lord, we want to make a pledge and a commitment in these coming weeks Um, Help us to know what we can do to turn down the volume on all those other voices in our lives. We don't want our minds to be dominated by the news cycle of fear and outrage. We don't want our minds to be dominated by 
the virus or by government regulations. We don't want our minds to be dominated by criticism of our neighbour or of our brothers and sisters. Um, we want our minds and hearts and conversation to be consumed with the way of Jesus. We want that to be our um, all-consuming passion to sit at your feet and learn a better way. Father, help us to do that. We want to say uh, we've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Help each of us uh, to work this out in our everyday living in the days ahead. Um, Father, help us to discover the truth of your promise that there is rest for our souls as we walk in the way of Jesus. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.